0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Have a seat if you would, Paseo. Great morning of worship, Matt. Thank you for pointing us to the King um, and thank you for worshiping him that way. Hey, I tell you what, I think this is going to be a warm sermon, at least for me, maybe not for you. So I think I'm going to have a a glass of water here, and I'm going to get this going here. So by the way, if you didn't know, this is our 20 liters water filter, and oh, it looks like we need a little more water in there, so let's get some good Rwanda River water here. It is, okay, all righty. So, okay, we'll be careful. Well, this, what, this is what was put in there on Friday, this kind of water. And uh, so trying to simulate some um, uh, river water from Rwanda. And then this is what comes out just a little bit later. So, because I have a feeling it's going to be a warm sermon, we're just going to kind of get started here. Mmm. That is good. And so we want to invite you up after church to come up. We've got some Dixie Cups. Come up and drink a little bit yourself and enjoy uh, what the folks in Rwanda are going to get. Don't drink out of this. This is what the folks in Rwanda drink out of oftentimes now. But uh, drink out of the clean water filter. So next Saturday, we're going to be getting together and we're going to invite you to come and to help us to assemble the innards of this water filter next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., and uh, we've got stuff for everyone to do, all ages. We really w- encourage you to come out. Yesterday, we got a team. We had a team of people together cutting the pieces that we're going to be assembling. Then this next week, we're over at Lauren Larson's home, and we um, cut. We made 800 cuts uh, in PVC. We drilled 1600 holes in some end caps, and we cut about uh, 400 pieces of tubing or 200 pieces of tubing, and we had a great day um, so that we will be ready next Saturday for you when when you come and uh, help us to assemble these parts. And uh, it was really fun as we assembled those, as we were cutting those parts yesterday, just to really think that these little PVC pieces that you'll be assembling next week for us together... These are going to make a difference in a young person's life or an old person's life or a, a whole family's life and sometimes a whole village's life. So we encourage you to, uh, to come out next Saturday um, uh, from um, uh, 10 a.m. right here at church to about 1 p.m. wear dirty clothes. And to come up after church and check out the water filter, have a drink, and pick up what they pick up, the 40 pounds of water and carry for miles. Dirty water to come and to put into filters like this. So I want you to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 13, page 1046. Um, You're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit more this morning than you normally do, so um, it's okay to find your table of contents. It's at the front, and we're going to look at several different verses, and I really want you to stay with me as we go through. So besides the water filters, anything interesting happened this week. I kind of went into a news coma on Monday and so I just, I'm not, I don't have any idea what has happened since then. I did see my doctor really early on Wednesday morning, and he was a little late from the appointment. He said, hey, I'm sorry, Gary, that I'm late. I got caught in a draft tra- tra- traffic jam on northbound Interstate 5. It was backed up all the way to the Canadian border. And and and, but I need to let you know that um, you're not going to get into Canada because uh, there's not a wall there, but there is the uh, Canadian Border Patrol that's watching for illegal Americans. And so Matt and uh, Marilee were very gracious and kind to us this morning, but they they mean that Matt sent that to me. So where do we always go when we're uncertain and we're we're fearful and when? We, um we're not sure which way is up. We always go to God's word. And so that's where we're going to go again this morning, Luke chapter 13. And I want to I let you know that um, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. Um, because that's not important for you to know who I voted for. And, um, and I want you to know that I outlined, studied and outlined for this message before the election. Uh, so this is not a reaction. I told you last Sunday And we've had it on the docket for three or four months here that we were going to do this. So this is not a reaction, and this is not a political whining or rejoicing uh, whatsoever. And, of course, a couple of things have changed because the the person, uh, President-elect Trump, uh, brings his baggage just like any of the other candidates would have brought their baggage. And so while I've tweaked it a little bit since Monday, um, it is, it's, it's God's truth, I hope that we look at here, and no matter who the president is. And so in Luke 13, we have this interesting passage. Um, it's about Jesus, which is always good, and it's about powerful people, and it's about broken people. And that's what we need. We need Jesus. We are, there are powerful people around us, and there are broken people, and sometimes they're one and the same. In fact, they're always one and the same. So we want you to keep your finger in the text as we apply this passage where we're able about Jesus and last Tuesday and Jesus and next Tuesday and Jesus every day of the week of every year until he comes back. So you're with me? You're ready to go? So th- by the way, this is, if you're a guest with us, this is a little unusual message. We don't normally do this, but I think, and if you're not a believer and you're here with us, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We're trying to flesh out what God says About power and about brokenness and about how we are to interact with our leaders. So, Luke chapter 13, verse 31. So, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, we need to just do a little geography here. Jesus is heading for Jerusalem, uh, verse 22 of that chapter. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. So he's not in Jerusalem yet. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's the heartbeat of God, and it remains that in God's heart. And um, it is where Jesus will eventually be crucified and buried and raised from. But he's not in Jerusalem yet. He's either in the Galilee, up in the far north, or he's on the, uh, on the um, east side of the Jordan River in what we today call the country of Jordan. So he's in one of those two areas. We're not sure which of the two areas is, but he's making his way, going through villages and towns. That's important for you to know. He's not yet in Jerusalem. He's heading that way. Now, this is interesting. It's curious to find that the Pharisees are warning Jesus about someone who's out to kill him. Because if, if, you've, if you've been with us before, you know that, that the Pharisees are not very friendly with Jesus typically, right? In fact, they're pretty tweaked at Jesus most of the time. And so it's curious that it's the Pharisees, some enemies of Jesus, who warn Jesus that this Herod character is out to kill him. And we're not sure why they warn him. Perhaps they liked Herod even less. And so they wanted to warn Jesus. There's some other theories out there. We're not sure. But what we know that the text tells us is that the Pharisees warned Jesus of something that was very real, and that is that it was that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Now, um, if if you've read your Bible before, you know that there are several Herods in the Bible. You need a, a spreadsheet to keep track of who they are. Herod the Great, he's the big grandpa. He's the big, big kahuna. And Herod the Great, is, he's a, a magnificent builder. And when you go to Israel, you will, just, you will stand in awe at some of the things in the first century that he was able to build. Just absolutely magnificent builder, architect, designer. But he was also a madman. He was paranoid. He killed some of his sons because he was threatened by them. He drowned one of them in their swimming pool. Um, he had uh, many wives. Uh, uh, most scholars stop at about eight. I might have stopped at seven. You might, uh, you might stop at nine. We're not sure. But he had about eight wives. And so Herod the Great, although he was great in that sense, this guy was bankrupt morally, okay? And so he had all these wives, which mean he had all these kids, and particularly he had a whole bunch of sons. And doggone it, but he's so egotistical that he names all of his kids Herod. And it just makes a mess when you're studying the Bible. And so the Herod that we're looking at here is a fellow. Herod the Great is dead by this time. Herod the Great, for instance, is the, is the Herod who slaughtered the innocent children in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. So this is one of his sons by one of his many wives. Herod Antiphus is his name. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided up among a couple of his sons. Herod Antiphas rules over the Galilee and what's now today modern-day Jordan. That's, we, that's how we know that Jesus is in one of those two areas, and the text tells us he's not yet in Jerusalem. So Herod Antiphas, it did not fall far from the tree. He is a rageaholic. He is uh, crazy, and he has the nuclear code. He can do what he wants to do is what I'm telling you here. He, he, and, he, and he has done it. Um, Uh, he was married, and one time he went, his brother, Herod Philip, invited him, Herod Antipas, our our Herod, uh, he invited our Herod to come to have, uh, to stay at at his brother's house, and so he went, and while he was staying at his brother's house, he was married, while he was staying at his brother's house, he hit on his brother's wife, her name was Herodias, they love that name, don't they, Uh, he hit on her um, had an affair with her. She left her husband, or his brother, moved, it, came in and shacked up with him, and then eventually married him. Aren't you glad that kind of stuff doesn't happen today? You know, I mean, isn't it amazing that we, you know, we don't have any of these problems today among our leaders, among our rulers. And, um, um, and, and John the Baptist got involved. And John the Baptist said to Herod Antiphas, our Herod, what you're doing is not right. He spoke the truth clearly and, 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 and repeatedly, and he spoke it so much that Herod and his wife Herodias, Herod, our Herod here, got so upset that um, one night at a dinner party, Herodias uh, ordered the special of the day, which was John the Baptist's head. And so that night at a big dinner party on a pot plate, was served up, barbecued John the Baptist's head. Now, you think I'm making that up. I'm not making that up. You can go to Matthew 14 after church and discover that story. So this Herod Antiphus was serious, and he was ruthless. He murdered people. He was a murderer. And so it is this Herod that we discover in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you, you know? So when you hear that Herod Antipas wants to kill you, it, they mean it. You know, it's, like, it's not like, oh, I hate your guts on the playground. This is the real deal. Now, here Herod, this bad dude, ill-tempered, ruthless, proud, playboy, powerful guy, is breathing real threats against Jesus, and yet we discover not a hint of fear on Jesus' part, let me say that again, not a hint of fear with this wicked, horrible, mean-spirit, adulterous, playboy, powerful ruler, not a hint of fear, do you? In fact, in fact, look, look, at, look at verse 32, Jesus replied, well, go tell that fox, Jesus doesn't have his countries wrong, he doesn't have the wrong president. Uh, he's not talking about the news network that's very happy this week. This is not a compliment, okay? This is not two thumbs up. He says, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day, I will reach, I will reach my goal. You, you see, in Jesus' part, there's no wringing of hands. There's no freaking out there 's no depression there 's no discouragement there 's no grumbling or kvetching or moving to Canada. Now, I do not want to downplay today that many people in our country are very scared, and some of you are scared and some of, and and i and 'm scared i don 't want to downplay that, no matter who would have won. I would have been scared, okay. That might have give you a little hint of who I voted for or didn't vote for. And I did vote, by the way. No matter who was elected of the two major candidates, today there would be things to be fearful for in all of our lives, and in particular in some lives if one was elected, and in other people's lives if other of the other candidate. So we have much to be concerned about this day. Um, no matter which candidate, major candidate, would have, would have won. Do, do you realize that only one in three people believe that Secretary Clinton is trustworthy and honest? Only one out of three people in the nation. And only one out of three people in the nation think that President-elect Trump is trustworthy and, and uh, trustworthy and, uh, what was the other term, and honest. So we got a problem, right? Houston we have a problem because one out of three people don't think that either of the two candidates were trustworthy or honest, okay? And, and um, it's a scary time. If you're a Muslim in the United States, this is a very scary time. An American citizen, Muslim, this, this is a very scary time for you in the United States. And, and we may have Muslims among us here this morning. And and we want to say to our Muslim neighbors and friends and fellow in the police department and in the fire department and in the military and in the Coast Guard, we want to say to them, we hurt with you. We have a fear with you. We are not going to wring our hands, but we empathize and feel compassion for you. And if you're LGBTQ, this is a fearful time for you to, to be an American citizen. And if you're of a minority, this is a fearful time for you to be a citizen in the United States. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is a fearful time for women and girls. And I just need to be really honest with you. I fear for my daughters and for my granddaughters. Because if people, if, my, if, if, if young men hear that it's okay to talk in such derogatory terms about women, as some have in this, candidate, in this presidential election, not what the press said they said, what they said, that it's okay to grab women by their genitals. And I know I'm getting into dangerous territory here, okay? And, and, and I can say some things about the other major candidate too, okay? I, I'm not, I'm not I am not singling out one candidate. What what I fear for is for my daughters and my granddaughters, and I fear for my sons and my grandsons that they think that kind of language, even the language is okay. I need to tell you, I have never spoken like that about a woman in my life. And I've said some bad things about women to my shame and sin. But I have never heard any man in any locker room, and I've been in a couple locker rooms, speak like that about women. That is not boy talk. That is sin talk. And so I fear for my daughters and my granddaughters that someone will follow that model and say, because this person says it, then I can say it and I can even act upon it. So just, there's some scary things. And I don't want my boys to think and my grandsons to think that that's okay to talk about anyone. So there's fear, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to, trying to, 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 to say to us. And, and I have friends around the world, and, and I just need to tell you, my friends who are Christians around the world, in Israel and in, in Turkey and in Brazil and in England, are scared to death. We have something to be concerned about. And we would have had just very different concerns if, if, if Mrs. Clinton would have been elected. And I would be up here listing those out for you, but she didn't get elected. And and so it doesn't matter which of these two candidates, the major candidates, there would have been a whole different set of anxieties. And so I want to say to you that it's okay to be concerned, because I'm concerned. But there's a difference between prayerful, prayerful concern and hand wringing panic. Jesus, when confronted with someone far worse than any presidential candidate we have ever had, said, I'm on with my mission. I'm on with the goal. I'm on with what God the Father wants me to do. And despair and, and, and dread reveal a lack of security in King Jesus. That's what they do. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Revelation chapters 4 and 5, that great throne room around Jesus. That's still going to happen no matter who the president is, right? Amen? Amen? That's still going to happen. you got to put your security in him, not in a president or a leader or a governor or a person. Uh, He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's where our security is, is in the king of presidents, in the president of presidents we'd say today, right? And the lord of all that would call themselves lord. And I just need to say to you really, really clearly that angry Facebook rants are not Christian. Well, well, angry Facebook rants are not Christ-like, and 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 self-righteous angry responses to angry rants are not Christ-like either. And send, don't send anyone an email unless you absolutely know it's true. Okay, don't. Oh, I got this email, so it must be true about this candidate or that candidate, and and jokes and doomsday rumor-mongering and faithless acts dishonored Jesus and revealed a real lack of faith in the King of Kings. See, that's why Jesus was able to be so strong in the face of Herod. This Herod, he is a bad, bad dude. He is he he and, 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 and he is far worse than any candidate that we've ever had run. Well, pretty much any candidate that we've had run. Any of the pr- current pre- uh, presidential candidates. I want you to hold your finger in Luke and go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And while we go over there, I want to say to you uh, something as, as we find our way to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. I want to I say this and I want you to, to really understand this. Neither president-elect trump nor secretary clinton are the antichrist okay go on our blog i've got a blog about this uh, about a week or so ago at our website they are not the beast and and i just need to say this that people who voted for them also are not the antichrist okay now, some of, some of who voted for this, one side are racist, and some on the other side don't care about unborn babies. And I get all of that. I understand that. But that's a far cry from being the Antichrist, okay? So, so let's be careful about our rhetoric. The, these two are relatively angels compared to the Antichrist, okay? So let's back off some of the heat, okay? They, they are not the Antichrist. Um, uh, uh, they're not the Antichrist, but, but as Matt said earlier, they're not the Savior either. And we've got to stop thinking that they're going to save you. Say, look, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You and I live in a kingdom that is absolutely unshakable. This is not our, we are not, we are citizens in one way of the United States of America, and I love the United States of America, and I'm so grateful to the men and women who have and do and will protect us, and I love America, but this is not my home, and it's not your home either. You are part of a kingdom that is absolutely unshakable that will never end. First and foremost, you and I are part of this unshakable kingdom. Verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God. So no election can unsettle the good plan of our great God. Now, I don't know if you were like me, but I stayed up to whatever it was, 1230 or one o'clock on Tuesday night. And I wanted to see the whole thing out. And I was on the edge of my seat for a while and then I laid back for a while and I got back on the edge of my seat for a while. But I want to tell you that on Tuesday night, God was not on the edge of his seat one moment. He didn't fear anything. He didn't loathe anything. He didn't wonder anything. He is the king who is in charge, and he was not waiting for CNN or for Fox to call the race. And here's the first, if you're following along in your message notes. We're citizens of an unshakable kingdom with an unrelenting, loving God, and we will refuse to fear Be concerned, be prayerful, be truthful, absolutely, but we will not fear because Jesus trumps fear. There's a great verse that I listed there we won't look at now, and it's from Isaiah 8. And it says, listen, don't get caught up in the conspiracy theories of your day, but follow God. Don't don't get all yourself all wrangled up about the conspiracies and the thoughts and the politics of they because you belong to a kingdom that is far greater. So so what does Jesus do when 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 the FBI and the CIA are out to kill him? What does he do? Not a hint of fear, does he? He's about his father's plans. Verse. Uh, let's go back to let's go back to Luke, if you would. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, chapter 13. Let's see what Jesus does there. Um, Verse uh, 32, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow, and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. He says, Herod, you can blow all the smoke you want. You can can pass all the bills you want. You can rearrange all that you want to... My father's plans will be accomplished because he's the king, not not you, Herod. Not you, um, uh, President-elect Trump. Not you, President Obama. As much as we want to respect them and honor them, they do not hold you in their hand. The king holds you in his loving hands. And so what Jesus was about was what his father had sent him to do. Look what he says in 33. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. I'm going to keep doing what the father has called me to do. And we looked at it last week. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, his power will cause you to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, near and far. That's what we're to be about. That's what we're to be going forward to. I want you to hold your finger again here in this book, and go back to the book of Micah, page 932. It's in your your Old Testament there in the clean part of your Bible. Go back to Micah uh, chapter 6 so what is it that we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be going with the gospel to people near and far. And, and, then, and then look what God says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Um, he, speaking about God, has shown you, O oh mortal man, what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? What is it, even when things are dark around you, when there's fear around you, what is it that we're to do? We're to act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. There it is. There's your marching orders to, 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 to act justly toward all peoples, not just peoples you like, not just peoples your skin color or your language group or people that, that are like you or that you like so much, but to act justly and to lo- I like that. love mercy just be like overcome with desire to show people mercy and to walk humbly with our God. That's what God wants us to do. As even at any time and even when darkness comes in. Now, here's the second thing on your message outline that that I think God wants us to be doing in these days is he wants us to be pray. He wants us to pray, pray, pray for our president. He wants us to pray, pray, pray for our president. In fact, I have looked all through the Bible to find about, about Facebook rants about the president. I can't, I, maybe I have the wrong concordance. I don't know. Maybe I'm misspelling Facebook. I have no idea. I want you to go to 1 Timothy in the New Testament, uh, page um, 1193. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. There it is in your New Testament. I'm going to get right there. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. I urge then, Paul says, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Isn't that an awesome, could it be any clearer? How are we supposed to interact and act for our leaders, for our current president and for our president-elect? We're to pray, pray, pray for our president whether you like him or not, you and I are to pray for the people who have been elected in our country. And I love what Winston Churchill said. Um, He said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the rest. See, that's the problem with democracy. It has so many pluses, but it has some negatives too, right? The majority rules, and so when someone is elected that we don't like, that's part of democracy And when people protest. That's one of the beauties and one of the difficult things about democracy. And so Paul says, no matter who's in authority, no matter who's in the lead, is we are to pray, pray, pray for them. And this is just that most direct command. And I tell you, it just irritates the daylights out of me when I see people being overly critical of our political leaders. Because the Bible has nothing to say about that it tells us to pray, pray, pray. Now, some of you are going, well, yeah, but, but Paul, uh, Paul didn't know about the politics in our day. He didn't know about the guy that got into president or the woman who was running for president. No, no, he knew far worse. There was a dictator who had not been elected. No one had any choice, and his name was Nero. And Nero was cruel and vain and horribly hostile to Christians. And under his rule, persecution and death Simply for being a Christian began, and he murdered uh, many Christians, and Christians were blamed for all the pro- social ills, and it only got worse then with the next emperor. So, under the mean, unfair, pagan ruler of Nero, what did Paul command? Gripe louder? Whine more? Say nasty stuff about Nero? Pray. Pray for pagan leaders, pray for believing leaders, pray for all leaders. It's the same thing, God, that Jeremiah did. He told the exiles in Babylon. It's the same thing that Daniel did. Pray that they would come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that they would understand. Our leaders would understand how messed up and sinful and broken they are, and how they too need a rescuer, just like you and I are messed up and broken and in need of, of a savior. And when you're when you're praying, when you're praying, um, pray for yourself too, that you would um, act justly and love mercy, and pray for them that they would walk humbly before our God. So let's go back to Luke now. Let's go back to Luke, page ten forty six, Luke chapter 13, 10, page ten forty six. Now here's the here's our next thought, our bullet point: Is our light shines most brightly the darker it gets? You see, the good news that we have, the good news of the gospel, shines brighter the darker the world around us is. In fact, you know the time, you know the eras that the church grows grows the most deeply, it's during times of persecution. Now, I'm not praying for persecution, but I know in the history of the Bible and the history of the church after the Bible, the times the church has grown the most deeply is when the church is being, when Christians are being persecuted. And so so don't go, I can't let my light shine anymore. This, this is all the time to let our light shine all the more. The bad news is that we're all broken and busted and flawed. And so our hope is not in the president or Congress or the Senate or a flag or the stock, stock market or a political uh, party. So shine your light. Make disciples of all peoples. This is the time to do it. Because people are, people are hurting and fearful and, and wondering about the future just like we are. Let's share with them the hope of the world, Jesus. Make disciples of all people. If, if we took all the energy that goes into the griping and the complaining and poured it into making disciples, it would be much, much more fruitful for the kingdom of God. Uh, act justly and love mercy and walk humbly. Get on with the great commission. Let Jesus change you from the inside out. Let his loving you change you to love others so that you you consider others more important than yourselves. Go, go to the ends of the earth. Send people to the ends of the earth. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And Now, now, I, I hope you've kept your finger in the text. I hope you noticed something here in Luke that maybe surprised you. It's something Jesus said in verse 32. He replied, go tell that fox. Now, that's interesting on Jesus' lips, isn't it? That's not, like I said, two thumbs up. That's not a compliment. That's not really good. I really like that, Herod. It's, um, it's, it's the truth because Herod was sly. He was crafty, manipulative, like a fox. And and while we're to pray for our leaders and we're, we're, we're to obey our leaders as long as As they do not command us to do what God has commanded us not to do, we ought to be respectful and obedient, but we're also called to tell the truth. But there's a difference between whining and griping and being cynical and telling the truth in love. And I think that Jesus always gets it right, right? And so when he says, hey, listen, I'm not going to spend a rant on this. I'm just going to say, go tell that fox, and then I'm going to get on with what God wants me to do. He's spe- simply speaking the truth, and, and, he, and, 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 and we have the model John the Baptist who spoke up against the same Herod, right? Herod, what you're doing is not right. Stealing your brother's wife under his very, in his own house and then shacking up with her and then dumping your wife so you can marry this. And all the other atrocities did. The murders. Did. John Babb says, that's not right. He spoke up. And we need to be willing to pay the cost of our speaking up. In John's case, he lost his head. Matthew chapter 14. And and I, and, and I just want to say this. That I think in the campaign and I think today that sometimes we... Defend what is what we ought not to defend. That because we know every leader is broken because we're we're all broken, and so don't defend what is in, undefendable. Right, when someone has sinned, when someone speaks sin, we need to call it what it is. We need to do it lovingly, but we need to do it clearly and plainly. And and here's my encouragement: is speak the truth always especially when it's for those who can't speak for themselves. You have a passage there in, in your message outline, Proverbs 31, where the script, God calls us to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And oftentimes when we tell the truth about someone, it's because they irritate us. But I think what God is even more interested in is for us to speak the truth when what that person stands for harms other people and particularly people who can't speak up for themselves, for the disenfranchised and for the immigrant and for the poor and for the weaker and um, uh, for those that are on the fringe of our culture and society. That's, I think, in particular where we should speak the truth. So so, so here's the principle. Is tell the simple truth simply to others and to yourselves. And so I, I, I want to I encourage you as we think about truth-telling To also tell the truth to yourself, and that's where your bias or your racism or my racism or my not caring for people that um, are not like I am, where I don't love mercy and where I don't act justly and where I don't walk humbly before the Lord— I need to speak the truth to myself and the power of the Holy Spirit and I need to repent of my arrogance and I need to repent of my uh, apathy and I need to repent of my, my racism and I need to repent of my pride. So not only speak the truth to other people when it's appropriate, but first and foremost and last is to speak the truth to ourselves as well. And so here's the last. Find your security under the wings of Jesus. Look at verse 34. Jesus is speaking. He's looking up toward Jerusalem. He's not quite there. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And Jesus says, Hey, to Jerusalem, and he says to America, and he says to you as an individual and you as a family, man, find your security under my wings. This is where there's hope. This is where there's strength. This is where there's confidence. This is where there's, there's future. He says, I'm like a mother hen in difficult and crazy and scary times. And he does that not so that we'll hunker down and avoid pain and avoid the difficult situations and choices that are in in our future and that are ahead of us as a country and as family and as individuals, but so that we can more boldly and more confidently preach the gospel to every person. Share with them how broken and busted they are, but there's a rescuer who loves them nevertheless, And he keeps loving us, and he keeps forgiving us, and he gives us new desires, and he gives us new powers. And so that as the night gets darker, and it might get darker in our land, I pray that it doesn't, but it might get darker. Let his light shine all the brighter as he protects you and you find your confidence in his wings. So Hebrews 12, 28, here it is again, says, therefore, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and that let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And I want you to stand with me, because I want us to read that together in confidence as we go to a time of worship, and we're going to share in our morning offering as we do as well. But let's let's make sure our confidence is not in men, or not in women, or not in political systems but it's confidence in the kingdom of God. So let's read that together like we, like we really believe it, okay? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, With reverence and awe. And that's what we want to do Jesus, you're in control. You're the one who is the King of Kings. And I love what I read that Pastor John Piper wrote this last week. Look what he said to uh, to us and to our nation. One day, America and all of its presidents will be a footnote in history, but God's kingdom will never end. Amen? Jesus, we worship you. We pray that your kingdom would come in our lives, in our hearts, and in our world, that you would rule and you would reign. And that Jesus, as we work to that end, may we shine your light, the light of the gospel, brighter and brighter into a darker and darker world. Jesus, we praise you this day that you are the king on the throne and that you have a kingdom that is absolutely unshakable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship him together.